Hello everybody and welcome to That's The Issue, the comic book podcast that gets to know you through the issues that you love. My name is Matt Loon and I'm one of your co-hosts. Uh, joining me as always is Mr. Wes Messer. Uh, he's going to be joining me for the interview part of this podcast. Now, we are going to be interviewing Lan Pitts, who is one of the writers for the WWE comic as well as a contributor to Newsarama.com. Uh, our interview segment ran a little long this episode, uh, so we're going to dive right into that shortly. Um, listen out at the end of the show uh, if you want to find out ways to get in touch with us. Uh, and as always, uh, you can subscribe and like and uh, follow us on any of the podcast platforms that suit you. Um, and also find us on multiversitycomics.com, uh, where you can uh, find other podcasts like the DC3Cast, Comics Bus, and, uh, and many more. So join us uh, there, and uh, without further ado, I will uh, let you uh, hand you over to me from the past, uh, and uh, we uh, hope to uh, enjoy your comments and questions and submissions, and I'll tell you how to get them at the end of the show. Enjoy! Joining us now on the show is a uh, comics writer for Boom Studios, uh, WWE Comics, and uh, Newsarama contributor, uh, formerly of Comic Book, and uh, it's uh, it's Lan Pitts. Lan, welcome to the show. Hey, hey! <laughs> that was a that was a suitably good introduction, I think. <laughs> well, I, I try to do my crusty laugh and in introduction, but my voice is shot, okay. so <laughs> I won't try it in Serenity got- of I did get that vibe. I got that crusty the clown vibe. That's good. I tried. I tried so hard, and I let you down. You have not failed this city. <laughs> no, you you have not failed this city. <laughs> now this is going to be uh, this is going to be an interesting show for me because um, I know next to nothing about WWE, uh, who uh, which you are a uh, a writer for for uh, for Boom Studios comics, um, and and uh, yeah. Wes has been giving me a little bit of an education. Um, and I feel as though this is... He's uh, told me. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a bit of a... I think this is probably going to be a bit of a, maybe a regular segment on the show is where I kind of get my um, WWE uh, education through him. Oh, and, um, and I do realize... Oh, Matt, WWE, NWA, it, it's going to be a ride, man. AWA, WCCW, WCW, ECW, New Japan, All Japan, Lucha... Man, you, it's going to be a good time. See, Wes, you've talked about R-O-H. Lucha Underground before, and that sounds fascinating. Oh, my. Lucha Underground is going to be a blast for so. you. <laughs> I think it's actually, it might be on your Netflix in the, um, in, I think it might be on the Netflix in the, I know it's on Netflix here. It might be on the UK too. Mm-hmm. I might have a look on the UK Netflix and that's it yeah because and um, the one thing that always fascinates me about 
wrestling is the fact that there's so much of the comic book community that's into wrestling and it's there's such a massive crossover between comic book fans and wrestling fans that I feel as though I'm kind of not not reading mm-hmm. comics right by not being into wrestling. I kind of think, am I missing something? Is that why I'm not getting it? And that's like, you straddle the world quite well, Lan, you know, because you, you know, you write for Newsarama, um, you yeah. formerly wrote for comic books, so you know your way around comic books. And then also you write the WWE comic yeah. books as well. So, like, what's that been like for you? Is like, you know, uh, do the worlds well together? <laughs> Uh, I think so. It's interesting because I actually wrote a dissertation about this about uh, three years ago that really kind of sort of talked about the correlation between comics and wrestling. I mean, even going back to uh, the superhero, I mean, the basic of the superhero genre at large, when you had guys like El Santo, who was a famous luchador in Mexico City, who almost became like a folk hero of sorts, uh, who... I mean, there's a there's a statue of this man in his cape and mask in the center of Mexico City. And Mm -hmm. wow. Yes. And so he was he was popular. uh, He was a popular enough attraction, I guess, performer attraction, however you want to put it, that he was in movies as El Santo never took off his mask. Uh, He took off his mask up like I think a week before he died on a talk show. And it's kind of gone up from there. Now, you have, like, a lot of correlation, especially um, you had CM Punk yell out, it's clobbering time before coming to the ring, because he's a huge comic nerd and actually wrote some Marvel comics a couple years ago. Oh, he did Master of Um, Kung Fu recently. He wrote the one shot of that. Oh, awesome. Yeah. uh, He also had a a Thor story with Robert Guillory. And... Uh, I, uh, is it Drax he did as well? Yeah, I think, yeah, Paul you're right. Bun. He wrote a Drax with a Colin Bunn. Yep. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you had a lot of just uh, a lot of crossover, especially I, I think it was kind of in the sort of 90s. Uh, you had Raven sporting a lot of comic shirts, Sandman, Doctor Strange, Punisher, like uh, his raw draft figure from 2002. They actually had a relationship with Marvel. And he has a Punisher shirt on his figure. Uh, so it, it's it's always kind of been there. And even guys like Leon St. Giovanni in uh, Ring of Honor, who's part of the tag team of Coast to Coast, who's a, who's a really good friend of mine. I, I saw him perform live about three years ago at one of my first ROH shows. And he was wearing trunks and knee pads and boots with the Novacore symbol. Oh, cool. So, like, <laughs> the, uh, and, you, and you have guys like Chris here. Uh, well... Now Cassius Ono, but formerly Chris Hero, who had like a superhero gimmick, and even uh, Shane Helms, who had the Hurricane. You know that was basically he started by him having a Green Lantern tattoo and Stone Cold making fun of it. So I, I, I think yeah. there, I, I think there's a lot of a lot of correlation in, in anywhere between going to like you know you have guys who you know, they have ring names or nom de guerre, I believe it's you know, like the fancy term for it. And you have people with alter egos. Uh, so, and some people wear masks. I mean, these people are characters and it, it's kind of weird when I get asked what it's like to write a real person. And if you, and if you've read anything I've written, I don't really write real people. I think the realest thing I wrote was the Ric Flair story in the rumble issue, which was awesome. But well, thank you. Thanks. That was that was a that was right, trying to nail down Ric Flair and Bobby, uh, and I had written that. I had started writing that right after Bobby died, so oh. it was very, very 
I, I guess daunting. And I put a lot of pressure on myself to try to nail his voice and WWE liked it and boom liked it. So I couldn't have asked for anything much, but I mean, I gave the undertaker an origin story in the survivor series special. And the undertaker isn't a, isn't a real person. He's a character. He's an, he's an, he's an, he's our favorite undead wizard. <laughs> and I feel like, and I, and I feel like I, there, there's, there's nothing really different than writing these characters than writing like X-Men or anything like that. Hmm. It definitely, in the least bit. yeah, it definitely feels as though like, again, as someone like me, who's kind of has dipped his toe into the, the wrestling waters a few times and is, uh, is kind of like, diving in a little bit more now like it does definitely feel like the kind of um you know media property that a comic book reader like would easily dive into you know there's so many like, so many correlations mm-hmm. like the brightly colored costumes the heroes the villains you oh, know yeah. as you say like the, the faction yeah right there's even like teams yeah yeah so it, it does seem like so really, it's I, easy for me to kind of dive into you know on that sense obviously there's a lot of history and a lot of characters and, and a lot of things to dive into mm-hmm. but i mean if that kind of thing put me off i wouldn't be reading comics in the first place i don't think so i think I'm right. right i mean yeah i mean especially considering the fact that this is not like the first comic book series that did this wwe had a uh, former series um, a couple years ago i think by titan books that was not not at all what they wanted it to be it was kind of um i don't want to say grounded in reality but it was very different from what the series Mm. is now and that was so weird it was weird it was it was (laughs) like triple h is a crime boss and like everyone had like a different sort of like weird character instead of it taking place in their world it took place in another plane and it, it was it was it was different. Uh, WCW had uh, comics in the early '90s, and with Marvel, mm-hmm. and uh, so I think Boom really. I think I think it's a perfect time to get into something like this. I think it's something really accessible uh, for kids who, or just fans who just want to see things that take place in between. We're working in between WWE universe, and. I think it's a I think it's a fun series. I've enjoyed working on it and telling these stories and working with the creatives over at Boom and WWE and the artists and everything I've worked with. So I I have no room for complaining. I just wish they'd let me write the characters yeah. I want to write all the time. It is interesting because we we're because it was funny there was like there and then there was another series that I, I think even I I was like I was funny I just I was like buddy of mine was talking to me before the podcast and he remind and. I always sometimes forget this myself. The series that uh, Mick Foley co-wrote, RPM, like, with a uh, twelve in a uh, for twelve gauge comics. Yeah, yeah, for twelve gauge. He wrote. He co-wrote it for like. He co-wrote it for. He said it's like I co-wrote the first storyline, and then after that, the rest of it's not me, but they still credit <laughs> me. So it's like I just kept crediting him after the first volume. And like, yeah, I, I just did like the first few issues, and then I was out of there, and the. And I can't remember who was the guy working with them on it, but I was like, I was out of there after the first, because they did like three volumes of, of they, they released three, the, I, can't, I can't remember, but they released three volumes of it. And then it was like, after that, it's like, well, there might be more, might not be. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> and then it's like, and then, and then the, and then it just kind of went away after, after the, the release of the third volume. And then they were, and then they were talking about like switching to like a trade only thing or whatever. And then, they went, and then never mind, license went away. And then, and now Boom has it and it's, 
And now it's like kind of like in the right place for WWE seems like they like it. Like mm-hmm. this is like this is like probably the one that seems like WWE's been like, okay, we like this format. This format works for us. It's been like the one that's sort of been like, okay, this is perfect. Like the right balance of storylines and kind of getting the in-betweens because it's kind of cool because I I, th- I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting how they're doing because I was like reading, like I read your Undertaker story today, which by the way, by the way, it still, it still makes me sad that you could not get brother love. Oh man. I don't want to <laughs> No, I, 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 I tried so hard. So, um, originally what I tried to do in this scenario was give Undertaker like an origin from the beginning, like the very beginning when he was like a kid. So, what I had originally planned and pitched was for his parents to take him to brother love and brother love realizing that, you know, the kid's evil, but what if I just use this to my advantage later and they keep on paying him money and money. And he's just like, he has nothing. He he can't help this kid, but he's trying his quote best. And, and then he gets involved with Paul Bearer because Paul Bearer is basically stalking him from afar because he works for his father in the mortuary and he knows what this kid is. But they didn't have, at the time, Bruce Pritchard's likeness. So I basically had Ted DiBiase go in the middle of the desert and find him working and brought him over. And it was it was a cool, I liked how you worked around that. It was funny because, and Matt, if you're wondering who Brother Love is, I, I sent you a clip. I'm not sure if you have to watch it or not, but... Brother Love was a fascinating little character. He came out of the televangelist period, the big televangelist boom of the eighties. Okay, right, yeah. And mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Ruth Pritchard in his in the most ridiculous red makeup you could ever imagine. Would I mean it was? I mean, even he goes, no, it, it was meant to be like totally over the top kind of goof. It was <laughs> meant to be and. And it was sort of like, and they put, and they put much like the brother and brother love. That's how brother love came about. And they had like this huge, they had this studio for him with his sort of like his, this sort of like church thing. And it was the weirdest. It's like, it's, it's like one of those like pure eighties goofiness that should (laughs) not work. That totally does work. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's crazy. But yeah, it, so yeah, it's, it's pretty fascinating and it's pretty fascinating. Some of these characters and like, and like Million Dollar Man, when I when I remember Million Dollar, saw Million Dollar Man, I was like, okay, I gotta say Mad Million Dollar Man thing because Ted DiBiase is, he has like the best villain laugh on the planet Earth. Like, <laughs> it's the best. So good. Uh, I I don't know how like how many stories we could actually tell of wrestlers because I you know I, I I've gone to conventions just getting day passes if I can meet like certain people. I, I've met Seth Rollins. I met Ted DiBiase at an airport. <laughs> I met Roddy Piper at a horror convention. I've met uh, Mick Foley, Ric Flair, all at New York Comic Con. So, like, I I will go if I can just have, like, a simple just, like, thank you. Um, Like, I was leaving for Florida, coming out of Atlanta, and I see this guy that kind of looks like DiBiase. And I was like, nah, I can't be DiBiase. And then he turns the corner, and he's wearing a WWE varsity (laughs) jacket. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, like, all right, it's Biazzi. That's him. <laughs> so, so uh, he goes in an opposite direction. I'm not going to – I was like, oh, that was cool, just seeing him. And um, so I get into the line for some breakfast, and I turn around, and it's him. 
And I, we, we've all been in airports in situations. We've all seen guys mob these people. And I'm like, you know, my hands are full. And I just like, hey, can I get a quick handshake from the greatest heel of the 80s? And he's like, of course, ah. that costs nothing. <laughs> and then just a quick, like a, a, a quick handshake and say thank you and went about our ways. But it was... It was those moments that just really, really tick. Um, yeah, my Piper story is even a little better. He was at a horror convention like six years ago at this point. And I'm not a horror person. I I know it's a, know it's a big thing, but uh, I just went for Piper. And totally it was like, I think the same thing. I would have done the same thing. Right, right, right. It was 10 bucks for a picture, 10 bucks for an autograph, or 20 for both. I was like, I just want a picture. I don't, I don't want an autograph or I don't need more stuff. Right. So I got the picture and for the whole day I'm talking to my friends like, Oh man, I got to get a picture of me in the sleeper. I got to pick, got to get a picture of me in the sleeper. Uh, so we get in line and no one's getting a picture with them in the sleeper. (laughs) Everyone's just like, everyone's doing like the buddy pose or like, you know, the, you know, the double bicep tag team or the finger pointing. So, I finally get up to him and we're doing like the arms around the shoulder thing. Guys, I swear to God, he whispers in my ear, uh, brother, did you say you want to be put in the sleeper? <laughs> and I was like, what? Yes. Yes. How did you know? How did you know? So, so he, I'll, I'll post this picture later. I'll can send you guys this yeah, picture definitely, if you want to yeah. post up when they, when the, when the podcast goes up. So <laughs> I tell him, I'll try to I'll try to sell it as best as I can. He goes, that won't be a problem. He puts his knee to my back, <laughs> bends me down, and flexes around my neck, and I black out for eight seconds. No yes. way. Yes. He crushes my throat and I <laughs> cannot talk. And he goes, Brother, oh man, you okay there, man? I didn't Oh no. Oh no, I didn't hurt you, did I? And I'm like trying to breathe, and I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. It was an honor. And yeah. So, yeah. oh, but like when you see the picture, you're like, oh, he cannot legitimately breathe. Oh my god. <laughs> so that's so authentic. That's wow. great. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it was, it was, it was, um, it was pretty great. Uh, and then my other like. My other really good story. I only have a. I have. I mean, I have so many wrestling stories, but I, I think the other one was um, meeting Seth Rollins a couple of years ago at uh, Awesome Con, which is DC's big um, uh, quote comic convention. They have like a lot of WWE people come in. Paid forty bucks, got my picture with him, and was like. This was when he was world champion. This was like May 2015. So it's him and the belt. Okay. And I was like, so I introduced him. He's like, oh, man, come up. And so I'm like, as this, the stupid smart I am, I was like, oh, man, sup, Tyler Black. And he's like, oh, no, <laughs> not one of these guys. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just. And uh, so it also, they also did like a Q&A and I got a picture with them. And so he was taking all these weird questions about CrossFit and, you know, the usual questions about what's your favorite match and, you know, how did you get started in wrestling? All the stuff that's been, like, documented before. Mm-hmm. The question I wanted to know was, how did it feel to be the first WWE champion 
younger than WrestleMania. Wow, that's a good question. Because he he just turned 29, and WrestleMania had just been, it was just WrestleMania 31. He is the first one. And at first, he's like disbelief, like, no, I can't be the first one. They gave that to Lesnar like years ago. I'm like, yeah, he was 25. WrestleMania just turned 18. You are the first. Wow. And he just freezes and like, I hadn't realized that. And now I'm, I don't know what to think. <laughs> so, um, and, and I'll be damned if he didn't start using that in his promos a month ago. <laughs> That's awesome. Not, not even a thank you. I remember that too. Not even, not even a thank you. <laughs> uh, but I, I just think it's great when you, you know, because, you know, the one of the good things about going to cons is like being able to, you know, aside from having to wait in line and sign things, but just be like, you know, thank the creators of, you know, today and yesterday, just, you know, your, your creativity brought me joy or this was really smart. Thank you, et cetera. And so I think it's, I think it's important to whenever you can, if you can uh, say thank you to people who made an impact in your life one way or the other, if it, you know, it's, it's something like that. I mean, now we can easily do that with Twitter, but I mean, a lot of these people are just, you know, you get bombarded with messages all the time. Yeah, it is. It, you are, you <laughs> so, are closer than ever to them at the same time. You're, you're in a right, crowd of people right. that are closer than ever to them. So yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. My only, like, I have one wrestling story myself, which was like, I actually, I met one mm-hmm. year I went to Heroes Con and Mick mm-hmm. Foley was there. Uh, that was Hero, that was Heroes Promoting. Con 2010. Nice. Yep. That was the one I went to. I, yep. That was the one he was there. And it was funny. Um, I, I remember I was, I, I remember it was like, it was like me and another person I was with and we were just, we happened to be upstairs and we were waiting on a couple other people doing this like drawing thing and here Mick Foley comes up and we're like, Oh my. And we're like, hi. Yep. Hi Mick. You're, and we were just sort of like, we were in shock and he's, and Mick is like one of the nicest human beings. Absolutely. Cause we, I was, I was at that panel. Oh, wow. Like we, yeah, I, I, I'll find that picture in a second and on Facebook and show it to you. <laughs> yeah, we, we were, I, it turns out we were both like at that panel. Oh, that's yeah. cool. It's really, he's really, really sincere. Um, I introduced, do you know who uh, Chris Visions is? Who is it? Chris Visions. He's an artist over at Marvel and Boom. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know him, yeah. Okay. All right. He had just done a cover. Uh, he was going to do a cover for uh, the WWE comic and it was going to be a Mankind cover. And so I talked to uh, our buddy Michael Kingston, who does Headlocked, and he was having Mick at his table. I'm like, hey, can I introduce Chris and Mick together since they're he kind of just did that? And so he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Chris came over and Mick's like, I didn't know they're coming out with a comic. And Chris just introduced himself and showed him the cover. Mick signed the cover for free. Aww. And now it's, oh, in, awesome. now it's in Chris's collection. That's so cool. So. <laughs> he's... You just never. Yeah. It's certain people you always are surprised to realize how ridiculously nice they are until you just go, "Wow, Mick is really that freaking nice." And mm-hmm. it's it's like the only other only other fun con story. It's unrelated to wrestling, but the time I met Henry Winkler, like in between in between him going to his going back to his booth, and I said Henry Winkler was awesome, and he said, 
wow, wow, what a lovely thing to say to another human being. He seems like being. a genuinely nice guy. And he, and, and he, and then Hammond <laughs> shook my hand and he, and I said, hi, I'm Wesley. And he's like, hi, I'm <laughs> pleased to meet you. And I'm like, uh, Henry Winkler is one of the nicest human beings. It's like Mick Foley and Henry Winkler are the two nicest human beings I've ever met at one yeah. at random at a con. And, I mean, I was just like, I remember that entire after I was after I was like, Henry Winkler is really nice. <laughs> and, and anyone I, else? I, 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 and then anyone I else told that. that story too? They go, no, yeah, he is that it. freaking nice. He. So when did you get started into wrestling, Wesley? Oh God. Um, Okay, I got into wrestling in. I've been off and on the wrestling since the late, since about the late eighties. I okay. I had access to when I was a kid. It was, I it was like mostly it was like a little bit of w. It was WWF slash WWF slash E now, and a little bit of NWA. Then when mm-hmm. then it was WWE Saturday Night. Oh yeah, and then and then it was. And then it was like, so I was like, I was rotating between WWF, WCW. Then it was like the afternoons on ESPN when you had WCCW, mm-hmm. then USWA, and then GWF was on it later on. And, and it was like, it was after school. So I would watch all that wrestling and would be like, so I was just like inundated with wrestling between during the week, during, during the weekend. And then when like Monday nights picked up and it became, mon- and it became like, I used to watch primetime, but, but back in the day, like a lot of people don't realize that back in the day, primetime and like primetime were not, was not like appointment viewing because they were all pre-tapes. So they were fun and, but they weren't, but it wasn't like the appointment live TV viewing. The, the appointment viewing was superstar was WWF superstars of wrestling. And, and like for WCW back in the day, it wasn't Monday night that was the appointment right. viewing, but it was Saturday night. And it's kind of weird for wrestling to go, wait, Saturday night was the appointment night? Yeah, Saturday night was 605 on the Superstation. Yeah, and absolutely. And USA it was. And then, and, and then their big thing on syndication was Superstars of Wrestling. So, and then, so it was sort of like, huh, that's so weird. But that, yeah, that was kind of, so, and then I watched like all I like I almost watched almost every bit of wrestling get my hands on back in back when I was a kid. So it would be like when I happened to be up or late at late at night, it would be like for somewhere we're gonna be up like one or two AM, it'd be like wrestling spotlight because wrestling spotlight aired here at like two AM in the morning on one of the Dayton stations and then and then it was because I could get my hands on what was it? There was so much like what else did I watch? There was a like I used to watch in like God I'm probably one of the people who remember this stupid thing, but the AWF that used to air at like 1 a.m. in the morning that had like Coco Beware and all like the cast offs from the WWF and all that. Oh, yeah. It it was like, and no, and it's like, it's like me. And the only, and the only reason people even remember that now is Brian Zane did a thing on it for Wrestling with Regret recently. Bless his heart. He watched that entire stupid thing. But it's like, but it was. And actually, oh, Matt, yeah. you might find this interesting because in British wrestling, they have a round system. So they have like three rounds oh, that they okay, usually yeah. do or however much they want to do. And that's what AWF did. And it was the weirdest thing that watching that. And <laughs> I used to tape it and it was like, why did I tape this? Some of this is really dumb. This is like really 
goofy stuff and i'm i'm why and then the road warriors appear and i was like and then but but what was funny is the one like i actually went to like a wcw house show as a kid i went to i went to one with the steiner brothers on it and that was awesome because my dad it was funny because my dad would never really watch a lot of wrestling with me because he was never really that in he like he he'd like oh cool my son's in the wrestling that's neat that's cool and he would buy me some stuff like toys whatever and he like that's neat but when he saw the Steiner brothers my dad would sit and watch a Steiner brothers match without fail he saw if it's like oh Steiner brothers okay I'm here and he would just sit and watch the match with me because he loved the Steiner brothers because because those boys the Steiner brothers could legit do some damage. Yeah, because those boys—they uh, were—they could put on a match. They, they would, but just what—they they could. But just they, what a random team to just really mark out for. My dad, I—I I, it was that, and and like my markouts. God help me, my markouts were Big Van Vader. That was a markout. Um, oh well, yeah. I was a Vader because, especially with the smoke mask. Because Matt, I have to find you stuff at this. Yeah, later. you definitely uh, Big Ben Vader, when he initially came, when he came from, uh, it was when he came from. He came from Japan. He had this really cool smoke mask that breathed, that put smoke out from the mask. And it was yeah. He looked like a he looked like an alien mastodon. It was the coolest freaking thing. It was like, and I lo- and I was like, he's supposed to be the bad guy, but I don't care. He has a mask that breathes out smoke, and that is the coolest damn thing. And, oh yeah. And then my little mark, and then my little mark out heart when I first saw Jushin Liger was like me going, <laughs> Liger, this guy looks like he's a superhero. That's nope. cool. And 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 then I also was more of a little stinger than I was a Hulk Hogan fan, which is almost. But I'm lucky. I also chose Sting to be more of a fan of than Hulk Hogan in hindsight, being 2020. But <laughs> but it's like. It's like one of those, but yeah, it's like, so I would say I lean more, like, it's funny. I wasn't like, I wasn't born in the South, but I had a lot of Southern roots. So it's almost weirdly fitting that I was more of a WCW fan until basically WCW went off the rails in the late nineties. And then Mm -hmm. basically everyone sort of went and here, now I'm going to give you this (laughs) little weird thing. The, there was an, there was like the late nineties, there was the attitude era. And you might hear occasionally hear people going this attitude era. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Why do they call it an era? It's like, it only lasted two years. <laughs> no, like, <laughs> no, 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 no. The attitude. Oh, correction. Yeah. The attitude era lasted five years. Okay. Five years. My bad. Five years. Because <laughs> after, after the attitude era was ruthless aggression in 2002, I, I consider the attitude era starting at Survivor Series 97. Okay, that, when that's, the fair. Lines, that's fair. When the lines between reality and wrestling were completely just destroyed, kayfabe was destroyed, and uh, it became real. I think uh, then around, I think Attitude Era probably ended around uh, probably when Lesnar won the title for the first time, when they brought in New Blood. That's, yeah, cause I, I, I did. So that's about five. I never went because it seemed like it always felt like that was always when I was reading it because I've read stuff on it. And I was like, oh, OK, so yeah, five years doesn't because it was like attitude era bled into ruthless aggression. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And OK, I get mixed up in my wrestling timelines all. It's like I remember a lot, but there's sort of like certain bits and pieces I go. 
the distribution mm-hmm. model for wrestling was really like WWF, like WCW and WWF had the easiest syndication, but everything else was like, like ECW, I think it had like one syndication market, like in some like UHF station in Dayton and maybe one in Cincinnati. And, and it's like my, what was it? My, uh, my, my cousin Joey would actually some every once in a while get tapes from one of his other cousins. And like, <laughs> we'd just sit and watch these ECW hardcore tapes that like, and it would be like, like that'd be my little taste of ECW I would get. Nice. What about you, Lan? How did you get into, uh, how did you get into wrestling? <laughs> Wesley, you're cut <laughs> off. Um, <laughs> well, I find Matt, Matt actually has a, Matt, Matt actually has a rule with me. It's called, if I'm going too long, Matt has a, is authorized to cut me off. <laughs> I've got to, I've got to try and cut in somewhere. <laughs> so he's I authorized. Mean, I, I, I actually told him to do it. <laughs> someone has, you got to tag out, got to tag out. So um, exactly. It's a tag out. I, I'm from the South. I mean, I, I'm from, I'm from Georgia. Uh, so flair country, NWA country. My first wrestle event was, Starcade 89, Future Shock at the Omni in Atlanta. Wow. I was six years old. Um, saw Flair, Sting, Buddha, Road Warriors, Luger, Luda. Doom. Um, so that was, that was, it was the Iron Man tournament. Sting won. Yay. So I, I, I think it just captivated me since then. And like, I don't know, it, 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 it all goes back to me loving superheroes and Greek mythology. It's, it's all just, you know, stories acted out in a grand fashion that you can see. It's 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 the best parts of theater and superheroes and everything just kind of rolled into one. How could like how could no one really like look down on this? How could how could you just look at this and like this looks dumb, but something like similar isn't like you'll go see you go see civil war or you go see a marvel movie but like wrestling that's dumb just captivated me ever since and i i never i just never got out of it it's one of those things just followed me throughout my whole life i'm 35 now and just still chugging it so muda was another one that i that i really got a kick out of and there was one match in particular there's have you ever seen the the entrance to the, the Great Muda Bob Sapp match? No, but I know of it. There's this really cool entrance that they did, and it's like Bob and like Bob Sapp comes to the, comes to the arena and comes to the and comes to like an entrance, and it's like he's he's playing Madonna Celebrate as his entrance theme, and he's like he's got this cool American hat on, he's he's dancing, he's got dancers around him, he's all happy, having himself a good old time, great entrance. Awesome, happy moments, and here comes, and then here comes Muda's music hits. And Muda's music's like boom, 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 boom. Drums and darkness. And then here, and then in the ring, it's like Muda come is in the middle of the ring already. And he takes off his mask. And it's like he's in his and he has like this metal mask thing going on during this period. And it's like, and it's like, and now Muda's gonna kill you all. It's like because Muda, because because Muda's hat, like I, I like fate. There's like Muda, great Muda Matt is sort of like he's he's the ultra he's he's the other identity of a master a wrestler named KG Mudo, and right and the best way to describe great Muda almost like some people have said it like he's kind of like Japan's Undertaker in a weird way. I can kind of see that. Yeah, yeah, you can kind of see it. And he was because because uh, Undertaker and his Undertaker and KG Muto were around right around the same time period too. It's 
like this is one of the things where you wish WB could end up getting like a shared license with 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 whoever owns. I can't with uh with Great Mudas people to let you do a Great Muda story because I think my little my my wrestling <laughs> mark heart would be like losing his shit if I ever saw a Great Muda story. I love but, how you're already getting your orders in. It's <laughs> just like I'll take one of these. Please. I know. Like, hey, can, can you just do this for me real quick? That'd be great. I'm like, I I will. I'm a nerd. <laughs> but rest, but the, I was almost trying to trying to get to it before I end up going to another mini tangent. But <laughs> like I said, Matt's authorized to stop me from too much tangents. Hey, but I, I step in um, like three three times an episode. I'll uh, I'll step in. That's my limit. <laughs> it, it, it it works because that's why it's it's probably why Matt's the best podcast person I ever have podcasted with. So cool. So, but but yeah, it's wrestling is there's always a level of storytelling. Like hmm. Matt, you saw like you got to sit down and watch the. Uh, the story that Lan- that Lan's going to be doing for the WrestleMania special coming up, the uh, Rick Macho Man and and uh, Macho Man Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat story. You got to watch the match that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched that earlier today. His story is based off of. So, <laughs> Matt, kind of, kind of describe your experience with that because I kind of want to. Because you told me a little <laughs> bit of it on Messenger, but I kind of want to hear your. Yeah, well, um, that's yeah, that's it. That's the um, the WrestleMania 2018 special that's uh, that's coming up in April. That's. Um, is uh, you so you shared you shared with me the uh, the footage of um, Macho Man Randy Savage fighting uh, Ricky the Steamboat Dragon, and I'd never never seen that before. So I kind of went into it thinking, right, well, this is you know I know nothing about this. I don't know who's going to win. I don't know uh, when it's not. And so I was messaging you while I was watching it, and um, and there was a couple of moments. There's a moment where um, uh, Macho Man throws Steamboat into the referee and like knocks the referee out cold and like I visibly gasped at that point I was just like <gasps> I thought to myself they can't do that that's not, that's not real um, and uh, well, I watched that moment and then like I was watching it and then um, and then by the end of it I was messaging you going uh, I cannot believe I cannot believe the, uh, the it ended the way that it was that it ended um, with. Um, I was worried about spoiling it then, but this is from like what 1983, something like that. 87, yes. 87. Okay, yeah, that's, that's a <laughs> WrestleMania three from 1987. That was it, and uh, and yeah. So the ending where like uh, Steamboat Dragon take just takes it, and I just thought. Um, I just thought, wow, this is. Uh, I really got into that. Like, I sat back afterwards and I was just like, yeah, I actually got into that way more than I thought I was going to do. So, yeah, and I messaged where saying, is this the, uh, you know, is, how how do people see this match? You know, is this is this just another a standard match, or is this as it's gone down in history as one of the best? Um, and oh, that was, yeah, that is that is considered like the greatest match of all time. It's it's high. It's high up there. Wow. Yeah, well, so I've started off well now. <laughs> like, that's, that's good and bad. It's, it's, you know, it's all downhill from here, which right. is... Right. Oh, uh, right. right. looking at it, but still. Yeah, because I didn't, I didn't actually initially uh, pitch that. That was actually given to me. That's a hell of a thing to be dropped in your lap. Right. Uh, well, the 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 Ric Flair story was also dropped in my lap, too. Really? Because I... I wow, awesome. Right. I pitched completely just opposite things where... My editor, Chris Rosa, was like, I want this match covered, and how would you feel about doing it? And I was like, oh, okay, sure, no big deal, right? Ah, so, <laughs> so, and then uh, WWE approved it, and but it made me wonder, because I saw the solicits before they announced a lot of things, and it was like the untold story. So he, it, it, it looks like he was already kind of like planning it. And it, it's, it's, right, right. I can't really, I, so I wrote it in a way, I think, because I, I wrote the Undertaker, Paul Bearer, two pager, basically just 
you know, quick bonding moment. Just, just them just making coffins. So hmm. uh, then yeah. I wrote Take Her Again for the Survivor Series special, and yeah, that was also out of match. Uh, the Rumble uh, story out of match. So what I wanted to do was do what I did with for the Raw special, uh, have it in match, and I, I don't know if that was in hindsight the right approach, but I feel like I I did what I wanted to do with it uh, initially because I turned it in. It was due. It was due on Halloween. This is how long this thing's been in the works. Wow. Well, yeah. Okay. I, I turned it in on Halloween, and wow. <laughs> My partner was like, oh, you didn't tell me you turned it in. I was like, yeah, I don't care. I, I didn't like it. I just, I felt there was something missing. And so I slept. I slept on it. Hmm. And I woke up and I rewrote the entire thing in about 90 minutes. Wow. And I was like, you know what? Forget that first draft. This is the real thing right here. This is it. <laughs> ignore so, last email. <laughs> just ignore it. Just get rid of it. Um, and, and so I, hopefully people will like it because I treat it sort of as it is. And it's sort of, I don't want to say fairy tale, but it's a very, it's a legend. It's a legendary match and I treated it as such. So hopefully people like it. Hopefully people will let me know either way. So we'll see. That's and awesome. that's what's interesting about that is like, cause the way you, that match term came about is... It's so like Macho Man and Ricky went, you know what? We're going to steal this freaking show. We're just going to. I don't. Well, see here. Well, I had to watch that match. Like, <laughs> I think, I mean, I, I, I watched it a lot, you know, obviously. But doing research for the story, I probably watched it an additional like six, seven times back to back to back. And the match is like 18 minutes long. But it goes by so fast. And if you watch it again, it's it's hmm. sort of like the Hogan rock match at 18. No one shuts up. The audience is constantly freaking out. Mm-hmm. They're all they're constantly on their feet. There's never like a quiet lull moment in this match. It is nonstop. It is nonstop. Watch, watch the audience. Everyone is losing their damn no. mind at the smallest thing. And then when like. Savage throws him like out of the ring and then like into the uh, into the audience for like a little while and only like he he goes out and uh, it's just it's just there's just so much stuff that I feel like they didn't invent but they utilize a lot of new storytelling techniques to make this match happen like that roll up yeah like the one two and then uh, he gets him again with the roll up. One, two, Savage gets out again. One, two, like that chain. Mm, that was God, like, that yeah. never been really seen before. That's like just just incredible how they plan this. I, I, I never thought the intention was for them to steal the show. I never, I, I, never, I never thought of it as them going, okay, we're going to go do this. I think something that just ended up happening. That they stole. That they yeah. kind of stole the show and kind of inadvertently went, whoa, we, okay, mm-hmm. surprised. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. It's interesting. That, that match is a very interesting match. Yeah, that, and yeah. it's also one of the matches of like that period WWE, WWF slash E that holds up 
better than a lot of matches of that period. It, it really does. Like as, as someone who's never watched anything like it before, it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was just like watching, like uh, it was like it was filmed yesterday. It was like a brand new kind of uh, experience for me. It was brilliant. And, but then, but then it's like when you watch some matches of like, like the eight of like sort of, of that same time period, like, mm-hmm. but the one thing about, about some matches, like even the matches that you'd be like, they don't hold up as well those audiences of like the eighties were freaking rabid. Yeah. <laughs> those Absolutely. audiences are like nothing you, you see now because nowadays you see people who, who uh, start throwing beach balls in the middle of matches or, right. or, uh, or uh, do start trying them as we, as they say, get themselves over or, right. and try to do all sorts of goofy crap, start yelling out stupid crap, whatever. Right. But these audiences were just so invested in anything. I mean, it's, it's like one of the things like I had, a, I had to find, I, man, I had to find this at some point, the, uh, like the Hogan Andre match in WrestleMania three. Mm. It's not like the best match per se, but it's an interesting aspect of the storytelling yeah, of it. Yeah. And kind of like, and kind of like the way the kind of like how it came together or, but, but it's like, but then there's other matches where you go, yeah, it's like, but then there's some matches where like put it this way, a guy like Hillbilly Jim could get like some of the loudest pops you would ever imagine <laughs> in your entire life. Cause Hillbilly Jim was as uh, Bruce Pritchard put it over like Grover at one point. <laughs> and, and it's like, and I'm, and I'm not joking. I mean, he was scary over. It's like, it's like he, they never gave him any championship belt or anything, but <laughs> he was shrinking over. And then, and it's like one of the things where you just go, wow. Like, but those crowds, they would almost go nuts for anything. Like they would, they would go nuts for the good guys, boo the bad guys. And then eventually it just all went goofy, all went haywire on them as like the nineties wore on. They were like, the rules are changing on us, aren't they? It's like, yeah. yes, they are. Most like, definitely. After the wrestling movement, the rules changed pretty yeah. quickly. So that match was was pretty influential then. That um, Macho Man and uh, St- Ricky the Steamboat Dragon was like pretty... That was kind of set the standard then moving forward, do you think? No. No, okay. <laughs> because... <laughs> no. Ah, see, I was no. trying to line myself up. So I was like, I've got more yeah. of these to look forward to. And you're like, no, nope, no, <laughs> that was it. No, no. Be- there were very few instances because you have to understand at the time that Hogan was, I, I don't want to say running this show, but basically like the top mm. star. You didn't get he matches like this until kind of like the next generation. Right. I'm oh, sorry, not next generation, new generation. It was called the new generation. Hogan wow. left. Bret Hart was leading the way, and you had Bret Hart, Sean, Razor, Taker. Um, who else was a really big star in the new generation? Uh, oh, gosh. Um, there's Owen. Owen. Yeah. Owen. So, Owen so, matches still. Yeah. Yeah. Bret and Owen. Today. Brett and Owen at Mania still is so good. So, so good. So. That's no, no, no. You still had Vince's ideas of like big guys doing like Herculean efforts, so they couldn't really like move a lot. Mm. Irish whip and a few like suplexes and and everything that kind of changed a little when um uh Ric Flair was in there for a hot second and him and Savage had some pretty okay matches. It wasn't any fine. Yeah, they, they were fine. They were uh, Savage was incredibly more athletic than. I think people give him credit for um, 
But at the time, he could move and then, like I said, introduce new guys, Sean and Brett. Uh, eventually, they ended up running the joint. And so, no, that, that match, <laughs> that match. It, that match was, and, and, um, and it was sort of like, I guess it was like one of those, one of those diamonds and a very big rough that was mm-hmm. like, a, now, now in the interesting thing was you, it's like, like Macho Man would eventually as time go on, be one of the people to pull, there was another wrestler, the ultimate warrior mm-hmm. that, that. Savage is one of the few people to ever pull out a decent mm-hmm. match out of the Ultimate Warrior, because mm-hmm. <laughs> Warrior was um, the epit one of the epitomes of the Musclehead. Right, right. Well, oh, yeah, oh, sweet yeah, Lord yeah. Bob. Yeah, yeah. It's that's a good way of putting it. That's a good way of putting he, it. He he was he was the epitome of the Musclehead. Um, I mean, rest in peace, Warrior. Um, <laughs> I'm not being mean here because that. Call it like to see it. I mean, yeah, he, I, he was. It, the it was. I was never a huge warrior fan, and I'm still not a huge warrior fan. But the people who were warrior fans were like, "No, warrior is the truth. He is the greatest wrestler <laughs> of our generation." And he wasn't. He yeah, wasn't. He that's wasn't terrible. great. He was. His promos were cocaine fueled and just hysterically weird. Right. Uh, but he, yes, but he, they, but he said it weird. And fast and aggressive, and you were like, "This is amazing," and they really weren't. <laughs> um, they, they were weird. <laughs> they, they, it's like it's it's why when you get it's one of those things where as time goes on, you end up going, you end up gravitating the wrestlers like like Macho Man. You see a Macho Man promo, and you go, "Oh my lord, Macho Man is the bet one of the best promo people." out like ever and then you see like and then you go to like watching like wcw and wa and you see like arn anderson's promos and you go oh my arn anderson promos are like a thing of freaking beauty. arn anderson and, will fuck you up <laughs> like, yes that that's exactly <laughs> it he killed you he, he killed you he kill you dead so he'll kill you dead you did you're dead arn anderson does when arn anderson does that that thumb across his neck it's like oh nope Arn's gonna kill that's you the now. Last thing you see. <laughs> so that that's the last thing you see before before the match happens. But you're you're dead, man. Yeah, that's 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 pretty much it. Like it, so, it was really hard when you're trying to write these characters and you don't have a lot of I don't want to say material to get their voices right because it's not like Taker does a lot of long winded promos. He he does short and simple things. And even back in the you know early nineties, when he started, he spoke even less. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was really difficult to keep what I wanted intact without having to go like overboard. And I'm like, I, I was really glad when both boom and WWE were like, we really like this because it was going to be a four pager. And then they were like, well, could you add two more pages? I want to see like, how you can make oh. this even better. And I'm like, yeah, sure. That's, that's fine. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And they really enjoyed how I did, uh, Flair and Bobby and, and everything like that. And I, I wanted to, I wanted to just try to get the voices right. I, I think my weakest thing was definitely Taker Hardy because it was all in ring action. And I wanted to just mm-hmm. get inside Jeff's mind. That's still like one of my favorite matches of all time. And it's a fun match, but it, it, there's not a lot of not a lot of dialogue. It's it's in ring action, and it's Jeff getting the Christ <laughs> beat out of him by by Undertaker. But I, I feel like 
trying to trying to get it down to at least where like it told a story of him in his mind and in his inner dialogue of him trying to be a star and him trying to break out and do a solo act and what he needed to do to, in order to do that. And I, that was the, that was the most difficult. So when you guys see my savage steamboat story, you'll, you'll, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Hmm. So cool. And, and the interesting bit, like uh, Jeff, the Jeff Hardy bit was when he was in his American undertaker was in his American badass mm-hmm. mode. Yeah. And Matt American badass undertaker is sort of like when, when under, when, when uh, Mark Calloway went, I like kid rock right. a lot. I want to ride a motorcycle. Well, I want to ride a motorcycle. I, I, I just think he I'm oversimplifying. Just, <laughs> I know I'm oversimplifying. Yeah, well, but. no, even a more oversimplification is the fact that Mark Calloway is just a redneck conservative dude from Victoria, Texas. And he's like, I just want to, okay, just, even I, more oversimplifying. I just want to play myself. And they're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's like the least favorite incarnation of Undertaker. <laughs> it's like Vince hates the American badass. It's like, which Undertaker do you hate? The American badass. It's like I, I can't stand that Undertaker. And I don't know. And he, that it's like the American badass is sort of like a favor of the Callaway. It's like, okay. I don't know. He, um, he definitely had some good moments. He had some great matches with some of the younger talent that oh. he definitely helped put over. I booked my one of my favorite lines he did was um I may not dress like Satan anymore, but I'm definitely still down with the devil. <laughs> and I just was like, oh, okay, that's fine. That works. That's amazing. I and that's and that's something you can't help but it's like he the, that was a neat thing about him he could kind of go okay I'll try this weird because he did like the whole like like min- the Ministry of Darkness and then he just went full like Satan mm-hmm. <laughs> like bluntly he went full Satan and Matt I ought to find you America like uh, Ministry of Darkness takers that is one of the craziest furs of the Undertaker you will. <laughs> <laughs> it's just completely bonkers. It's just, it's just like sort of like Taker unleashed into like crazy town, and it is, and also, and also the funny part is about his manager Paul Bearer. How that came about was it's like, and it's like like the guy who played Paul Bearer. Um, he's like he's a, he has a mortician's license. Oh, right. He had a mortician's license, so they went, okay, <laughs> well you'll be Paul Bearer. Yep, it was that works. Um, he had a mortician's license, so it's like, yeah, I have a mortician's license. Okay, well, you're Paul Bearer. And it's like perfect. And and by the way, Lan, have you have you since because you, you mentioned like the said so in your story you mentioned like the brother. Mm-hmm. Please say you got a cane story in you somewhere. Oh, I definitely <laughs> have a cane story in me somewhere. I I, I I've talked to Kelly uh, Kelly Williams, who was my collaborator on both the Paul Bear story and the uh, Survivor Series story, and basically we kind of want to do, uh, we kind of want to do not not quite a saga, but basically chapters of our own sort of where you can piece together part of part of our stories together, and it's going to be a whole story. Right, right. That's cool. Oh, that's cool. Like anytime we I... we get to collab together, it's like okay, well. I can't talk about one of the one of the pitches I have now, but it, it's it's another Undertaker, and I've already requested if that's the one they go with, and I want to work with Kelly again. But I, I really like telling Undertaker stories, and I feel like 
daunting at first where people are like, oh, man, you actually added Mythos to The Undertaker. And I'm like, yeah, that's really weird. <laughs> that's really weird. I don't know if I like this anymore, but I, I do. And it's it's a character I'm now comfortable with and an idea of what I uh, what I want out of the story. And it's and it's I, I, I kind of treat it as writing like some kind of dark necromancer wizard character who just wants bodies everywhere. And I feel like it adds up. I feel like I feel like I'm definitely more comfortable with that than I am anything else. Yeah, yeah. And Kelly draws an awesome Undertaker. I, yes. I, I, I <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> I love, I love that take on how like I love like oh that is so cool. Like if you ever get if you ever get a chance to see if, I, that'd be actually one of the funniest moments you ever got to meet the like Mark Calloway and go hey did you ever see the Undertakers just just to get him like get him the autograph the story yeah, or something yeah, like that. I, I I did get asked a lot of I. Another question I get asked a lot is, you know, do you ever think about guys picking up your comics and like reading it? And I'm like, I think about it, but I, I think about who I've written and it's not really a reality. <laughs> so I'm not going to say Ricky Steamboat and Rick are going to be reading it or anything like that. That's why I, I'd like to do something. I'd like to do something contemporary. I, I remember my first time pitching to, uh, pitching to WWE and my journey there, I, I didn't know exactly how crazy I could get with the story, so I kind of went all out. Like, um, so for those who don't know, Jasmine Amiri was the former editor of the series, and uh, we were we were mutual friends um, with Robbie Rodriguez, and I met up with her at New York 2016, and it basically I covered their panel for work. And I think the book had just been announced and it wasn't going to be coming out until January. I think, I think January, I think the, I think January was the then now forever special Hmm. or that was December. Then the WWE number one hit in January of 2017. Right. Right. So I basically ask and I get asked like, how did you, how did you, pitch and i basically just went up to jasmine and told her point blank i should pitch for you (laughs) and she said you should get at me in like two weeks and so i sent her sent her four pitches i thought were just bananas weird one was uh seth winning the money in the bank briefcase but inside held the secret of his entire career like it wasn't just a contract for like a title shot. It was, he knew the future of his entire career and it was him dreading the injury that he was going to face later. Uh, and then AJ styles as like an undercover waffle house cook as a U.S. Marshal. <laughs> and then, uh, it was two pallbearer stories because I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. I want to. I want to write some weird shit. So uh, one was Paul Bearer gathering ingredients from across the WWE universe to resurrect the dead man for WrestleMania 20, mm. and then the other one was the uh, casket making for Kamala at Survivor Series. And so WWE gave me notes, and they were like, "These other two are really, really <laughs> weird. They're fun, but we, we can't. We can't do that." Um, 
but these Paul Bear swords are really cool, but here's here's the problem. And, and, and if you know, so Paul could only interact with people around like who were around the same area and same time. And I was like, okay, but that was in 2004. I don't really remember. Uh, all right, that's fine. Well, so, so I'll just do this casket story and they're like, all right, cool. And I, and I, and I remember like, oh man, I, I had to tell a com- comprehensive story in two pages and I, I, I didn't struggle with what I wanted it. It was, it was them just having a moment building a casket together as mentor and mentee. But you know, so I, I, I called my, uh, called a good buddy, uh, Tom King and he had just got Eisner nominated for, um, writing a eight page story. And I'm like, man, how do you condense all this shit that you want? And he's like, well, what do you want out of the story? And I told him what I want. And he's like, well, there you go. Why'd you call me? You got this. And I'm like, okay, I just, I, I just <laughs> wanted some verification, I guess, and make sure I wasn't, because when I, when I write, I kind of get into my own head a lot and I, I need to break out of that. So I wrote it and Jasmine loved it. Uh, WWE loved it. Uh, but a lot of this stuff, I, I guess people really didn't understand. I, you know, how, how long comics actually take to get made and all this stuff to get done. Like I pitched in November of 2016. I got, uh, it got accepted January, 2017. I didn't see, I didn't see art until June. And then it was, and then it was published in August. Wow. So, Wow, so that took a while, then, yeah. So I had to basically, but because I was under NDA, oh, I couldn't wait. talk about my solicits until June, and that's when I could finally talk about this thing that I had worked on like six months ago yeah. <laughs> about finally making it, and it's and it's really good. Like I said, I can I can talk about the Mania special now, and I can talk about I can hint at a few other things and. It's gonna be good times. It's gonna be good. Time. We got we got some good stuff planned. We got some good stuff. Planned. I mean, if you're gonna be, um, if you're gonna, you know, if if you're talking about your your, your process for writing, I mean, calling on an, an Eisner winning writer to uh, as a soundboard <laughs> is, uh, is a pretty good tip. <laughs> yeah, it's a good tip for any aspiring writers. You know, just, yeah, just use an Eisner was, winner as a soundboard. Wow. That was a cool little name drop. I, I, I think it's a good. I think it's a good philosophy. <laughs> yeah. um, well, uh, and. Tom and I haven't really been friends for that long. Uh, we met through Mitch mm-hmm. uh, Garrett's, um, and Tom was uh, Tom lived in D.C. and I was like, "Well, I live in Baltimore. Hey, let's meet up." And <laughs> yeah, so we we had uh, it. It was funny because I I wanted to do like this all access because I think it was just this all access interview and I think he was just uh, just named the new writer of Batman at that rebirth uh, that rebirth thing at uh, mm-hmm. in L A. And uh, so we 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 talked for a little while and I I don't know you know if it's still going on. And so he hits me up like two days before we were supposed to meet up. And I'm, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. Uh, my grandmother just died and I had the worst Seder of my life. Can we just, we can definitely do this weekend. Do you like pizza? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So uh, it was like a two hour something interview of just us Aww. bonding over comics and life and etc and tom is just one of the nicest 
nicest guys out there. And it turns out, um, when, uh, at New York, we, we talked for a little bit and he's like, Hey, I've been meaning to tell you my son is a huge wrestling fan. I was like, Oh shit, that's cool. And he's like, yeah, Charlie loves the undertaker. Ah. And he thought it was a big cool. deal that I knew you. And I'm like, Oh, that's, <laughs> that's cool. That's great. <laughs> so I, I, I gave, I gave Charlie a, a couple of my Aww. issues signed and he just thought that was like the greatest thing. Yeah. Um, that's really cool especially when like the kid's dad writes batman and he's like yeah yeah that's that's cool oh, but uh, dude, right. that's cool that's so right, cool. right so um i got him i got him a couple of things i gotta i gotta mail out i'm horrible at mailing mailing things out the post office yeah um but uh, yeah I, I think it's just really cool and the fact that um his kid also dressed up as undertaker for halloween and cool just, halloween he just costume. he just loves the undertaker yeah. and the I was like, man, this kid's dope. So, <laughs> yes. But, but yeah, that's, and I, yeah, I, I think it's something that's just, I think wrestling is something you can kind of pass down. Mm. It, it's, it's, it's part of Americana, kind of like how I really hate the whole conception about like, oh, Star Wars is for nerds. I was like, no, Star Wars is pretty mainstream at this point. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, it's, it's part of the Americana zeitgeist. And I, I I think wrestling is sort of kind of getting back to where that was. I mean, I, I had this conversation. Um, um, trying to remember with who it was. I think Wesley and I were part of this whole thing, but about how would you consider Ric Flair a pop culture icon? Right. And it, and I was like, yes, definitely, definitely, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Right. When, when my non-wrestling friends don't know wrestling, but they know, like, I know the name Ric Flair. Yeah. I my know the name Ric Flair. Is, so. And just, I don't understand how he's not. And I, and I think you definitely have these icons of the sport and, and everything like that. And I, I think it's something that translates to comics very mm. well. It, it's interesting. It's like, like my one thing that caught my eye is like my, like when I, when I was certain TV shows, it's like my like my mom will go, oh, I know Andre the Giant, and my mom, right? She can't, she's not into wrestling. She could not give a crap about wrestling, but she knows Andre. She like, or she knows Hulk Hogan, or or uh, or she's like, there's certain people. She know, oh yeah, I know them. I know that person, but most of the time she'll be like, who, what, yeah, yeah, what, what the heck, right, right, and but it's like Andre, but. Really, people know a big part. People do know Andre, and heck, heck, even people know Jerry Lawler to a degree. Definitely, and and because people who there are people who do know Jerry Lawler because of the Andy and people who grew up around the period where Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lawler were having their fights on David Letterman had their fight on David Letterman and all that and all the and then Andy Kaufman stuff with uh, Saturday Night Live. It's like, oh yeah, they kind of, they kind of partner. They're a little familiar with Jerry, but. But it's like usually it's either Hulk Hogan, Andre, a little bit of Macho Man, some Ultimate Warrior, and and a little bit of everything in between. And then you'll usually get and if it's like if it's from the South, then you get Ric Flair. Yeah. Then you start getting into some really deeper yeah. stuff. Yeah. And so it's but it but it's interesting. Like I was 
I'm going to say my dad, my dad, my dad didn't really get me into wrestling. I kind of just discovered it on my own. Mm-hmm. And, but my dad got me in the comics. Right, right. So like when I was a kid, my dad got me into like Thor, Superman, all that sort of stuff. So, so it's like, so it's like sort of like the comics were my generational thing with my dad, but wrestling was kind of like me going on TV and going, Ooh, <laughs> this is cool. And then it's be like, be mesmerized by the TV screen for like an hour. Yeah, yeah. So, well, so yeah, that 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 was how it rolled. Well, how did you guys get into comics? Like, what were some early comic memories? Oh wow, Ooh. this is interesting. Well, for okay. me, I read like a lot of um, a lot of British kind of uh, British comics, like Beano and the Dandy and things like that, which were kind of like Dennis the Menace or the British version of Dennis the Menace. Um, and uh, and I grew up right. um, reading those, and then I kind of went to like a lot of kind of franchise books so like sonic the hedgehog comics and ghostbusters comics and and things that i knew from tv um and then naturally like when you know like a lot of people our age i kind of got into um going to x-men the animated series and the spider-man cartoon and started kind of like reading through like british reprints of marvel comics mm-hmm. um and then started uh, went from Marvel Comics then just to kind of exploded into, you know, I think I, I went into a comic book shop uh, in my town just to kind of pick up like the latest issues and then noticed that, oh, they, they sell more than just X-Men and Spider-Man. <laughs> and so there's everything around here. So I just kind of dived into as many different things as I could. And then uh, and that went from there, really, then. Mine is a little bit more scattershot. It's sort of like like when I got into it as a kid, it was like I got into some Avengers books, I got into Thor books, I got into like Captain America, like it was sort of like my comic experience was very random because it really was not the best curated experience. It was sort of like it was sort of like me sort of like trying a little bit here, a little bit there, and I didn't really have anyone that was like a really hyper like big comic fan around me to get keep me motivated and into it, and. So it's sort of like through like the early 90s, it's like like the early 90s and so forth. It was sort of like I was trying out cool book here, cool book there. And then and then and then once like the mid 90s hit and then suddenly everyone I know was getting the match the gathering. It was sort of like it was sort of like I spent like a short time match the gathering, got sick of match the gathering. And because I hated the term, it seemed <laughs> a bunch of assholes. But right. right. Uh, and but then but then it's like with like the late 90s rolled around and that's when I got back in the com- like I got back in the comics to Fury's Return. So I got back into the Buzek Perez run, and and then that's when I got. That's when I became like really freaking hooked into all things comic. Because that's when I, and and it wasn't it, it but it wasn't as cu- it wasn't really curated again. But I kind of knew more of what I was into, like what I wanted. It's like oh cool, like Avengers. This, this Avengers stuff is cool. And then it's like it was like then I got into like. Deadpool, and I started getting into like Thor, and then I got, then I got into Trans Metropolitan, which was sort of like one of those from like from like Avengers to Trans Met, and it's like so it's like Wes, you go from Busek to Warren Ellis writing Spider Jerusalem in the crazy political sci fi comic. It's like yeah, I <laughs> yeah, I'll say yeah, exact other extreme. Wonderful. <laughs> it's like and and that's why I always tell people it's like. So what will you read? I will read anything. And it's like that's and that's how how I got in the comics. Just, I just start kind of, I kind of start. But it was interesting because even when I, because the weird thing about being in the comics, especially when you're getting back into it, is 
for some weird reason, some comic shops like to make you prove yourself. And Mm. I know that sounds weird, but some comic shops do like to see, it's like, well, let's see if they, if they're really a big comic and they'll figure this out. And some comic shops are really weird like that. I had to prove myself to the comic shop. I was buying comics at and it's like, okay, so he's actually willing to do this, some legwork on his own. Okay. I guess we can accept him here. And, and it was like, <laughs> okay, that's cool. <laughs> it's like, I, and, and it was true because some comic shops do like to make you work for it. And it's so weird. And, and I never quite understood because I was like, I was like going, so when does this comic book come out? I was like, eh, we don't know. Um, go look online. So that's when I discovered Diamond's new release stuff. Like, I kind of learned yeah. half my stuff in the getting back in the comics on the fly. It was sort of like I went on, I found Diamond's new release thing. I, <laughs> I did a lot of late work on my own and figuring out what I was into. So that sounds like, like the worst version of old comic book shops. <laughs> yeah. Like, do you oh, know yeah, what I mean? Like the, the kind of the, the attitude that old comic book shops used to have, you know, thankfully that kind of, that way of thinking is, it's is on its way out. Kind of thing. Yeah. But um, what about you, Lan? Why, how did you get into comics? Uh, I started reading them, uh, the mini comics that came with the masters of the universe figures, as well as Kenner's superpower figures. Yeah. Nice, yeah, yeah. The Kenner Superpower figure line in the mini comics were that they were, you know, tiny enough for my tiny ass hands, and <laughs> <laughs> everything from there was pretty much, you know, uh, Pride of the X Men. Like I, I watched Pride of the X Men before the X Men animated series came out, and that was actually my first introduction to the X Men. If anyone remembers, Pride, oh, yeah, cool. Pride of the X Men is still kind of making its way around the back um but if you if you can find part of the x-men on tape get it but if not it's it's available right Mm. on youtube and totally free totally free no (laughs) one's ever going to copyright strike it because it's it's not really available in print Mm -hmm. anymore it's it's straight up out of print and it's and it's like the weirdest it was like a pilot for an x-men for an x-men series just never got developed and it that series is weird. It holds up better than you'd think, but but then a certain accent comes to mind and it doesn't hold up as well. And then certain Well well, here's here's the whole deal. So for people who don't know, uh for part of the X-Men, Wolverine is Australian. They made him Australian. But it's because it's because the X-Men cameo in a Spider-Man, his amazing friends, Wolverine is Australian there. All they right, did yeah. was think, oh, I guess Wolverine is Australian. <laughs> so he's not. And they just, they just transferred it over. Um, it, yeah, but it was, it was by done by Sunbow animation studios, the same animated studios who did GI Joe in the late and uh, mid eighties. And it was, was supposed to be, as Wes said, a, uh, um, the the pilot for a future X Men animated series. I mean, that's what the X Men arcade game is based on. That's what I was about to say. It is, it is this show, and it it you can definitely see a lot of the parallels um, in the X Men animated series in the '90s when it was relaunched. Um, but yeah, that that was my introduction, and and I uh, just never really stopped. And so I discovered comics on my own when I was. 11 and 12 and you know 
I was right. I was an image kid, so I probably shouldn't have been. But I spawned <laughs> Gen- that. Spawn Gen Thirteen, uh, Young Blood, even Brigade. Uh, so, <laughs> I liked Brigade. I actually did. I remember that Brigade was fun. I actually, I think I met what was it? Jeff Masuda at like a low at like a con in like Cincinnati, like like at one point because i actually have like an like some like a grifter drawing he did for me it's like like that's cool i have it somewhere around here and yeah i I liked i liked wildcats as well and you know they had um they had that short-lived animated show on usa because that was supposed to be like a whole image block cbs Mm, was it cbs wildcats on cbs savage dragon was was on that's right okay (laughs) My mistake. Thank you for the correction. But yeah, I, and I just, no problem. Just, it, I, I only remember because I used to watch Wildcats on CBS Saturday morning. That, that's that, the only that, reason why I remember that, that. That makes sense. But but yeah, that that's pretty much it. And then I discovered like you know what I wanted out of comics, and you know like X Men. If you if you were a kid and you weren't reading X Men comics in the nineties, what were you doing with your life? Yeah, yeah. Essentially, <laughs> Green Lantern. Like when Kyle Rayner jumped onto the scene, that was like my thing. Yeah. So I have his I have his entire run issues fifty one through one eighty one. But I mean, you know. Jade is a Green Lantern for a little while in that run. John Stewart comes back for a little while while Cal's in space. So, but that whole big run by, you know, uh, I think it's Judd Winnick, Ron Mars for the most part. Um, so Kyle is my guy. Kyle is my lantern. And I don't think anything would really, really, really change that. But definitely, yeah, that's. That's something when I think about when I think of comics, it's those things that really yeah yeah help you, jumpstart things. What did you love so much about Carl Rayner? He was he was kind of just a I don't want to say a slob, but definitely just a slouch. Like when Ganthet, <laughs> if you remember, when Ganthet gives him the last power ring, it's basically him coming out of a club and he's wearing like nine inch nail shirt and jeans and like a a denim jacket. And Ganset basically tells him, like, uh, I guess you'll do. <laughs> and then he gives it to yeah, him. Yeah. So yeah. It, was just, it was just sort of Ganset's apathy <laughs> <laughs> that led Kyle to, like, being, you know, yeah, it was, so it was just different. You know, Ky, you know, Hal was, Hal was a, you know, a pilot, and John was an engineer. Kyle was just, I'm broke. <laughs> and it really... It really took like that Spider-Man, like that early Spider-Man influence that made like that what made Spider-Man so great to start. He was broke. He was a kid. He didn't know what he wanted mm. out of life. And so to have somebody like that have the most weapon in the you know, most powerful weapon in the universe was definitely something new and exciting. Yeah, for me. yeah. And that was kind of around the time where like legacy was coming like a massive thing for DC Comics, like all these new yes. DC heroes. Yes. And it makes sense. Like if that was kind of the 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 era you were reading those comics that to to find a kid mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm not calling you a slob or anything, but like a more relatable character than like kind of uh, <laughs> the, the pilot right. or something like that. You know, someone that you can kind of latch on to. It makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. Definitely a Generation X represent, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. representative. You had, you had, um, you had, um, you know, Wally was already Flash, and he hadn't even been Flash for like ten years. I think he had been like seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, Impulse was about to come out. Um, 
Connor was about to be Green Arrow. You had the you had Superboy. You had you had Kyle. You had like yeah, all this sort of legacy. The legacy stuff really came into play, especially during Grant Morrison and uh, Howard Porter's Justice League run in '97. I think that was definitely yeah, right. definitely what put like the legacy scene mm-hmm. sort of there. That was cool. That I I actually remember I found a trade of JLA like not long after like when I was in when I was in a Borders and they had those like weird slimline trades they did like collecting like a few issues of it rather than the bigger trades. So mm-hmm. and I and I read those and I was like, wait, if I would have known more of this stuff was out here before when I got, I probably would have gotten the comics way, granted back in the comics way sooner because like, if I would have known about like Kyle Rayner, I probably would have gotten back in the comics sooner than like, like when I got back into Avengers, I would have like, if I would have known this was out here, I would have gotten the comics way back in the comics way sooner. But I, I just saw that, but it was like the Avengers clarion call is what got me back. But it's, but it was like, but it's like that JLA when I was reading those issues of Morrison's run, I went, okay, Kyle's awesome. I really like Kyle. Like that was like one of the first yeah. things that I was reading. I was like, this is really cool. Kyle's cool. And then it was like coming out of the electric Superman stuff. So, and like mm-hmm. Grant Morrison was one of the people that did, that did some of the cooler stuff with electric Superman that, and that's actually a run I want to read one of these days. It's just deep dive into the entire Electric Superman saga. I don't know <laughs> if I will ever find them relatively cheap enough to make it worth my time. But I I hope one day DC does an unlimited surface. That would make it much more feasible and sane for me to go yeah. hunt this stuff down. But that that's a day, story for another day. But it would but it but definitely like that's a saga I'd like to read read more of one day. But it's it's kind of it's an interest. It was an interesting period because that's when they were trying. Like DC was really wanting to get like these new characters like off the ground, like get Wally West, because there was a generation of readers that their lantern was Kyle Rayner, their land, their Flash was Wally. A big generation of readers that's like their Flash was Wally, not Barry. And yeah, yeah, give a crap about Barry. <laughs> it's like, it's like, <laughs> like oh Barry, he's fine. We like Wally better. Where's Wally? Yeah, definitely. I miss Wally. I miss Wally. Everyone misses <laughs> Wally. Yeah. Wally now, but for a while they really weren't making him. They didn't have him as the main Flash and even have him around. And people were like, I miss Wally. Where, where's my Flash? And it's like, well, you have Barry. You don't give a shit about Barry. Where the hell is Wally? <laughs> and that's what, the, that's what the story became. Definitely not the same. Yeah, it, and it's strange as well because like Barry had his time, and he had like uh, you know a, a great kind of send off really in uh, in Crisis, and it's just a bit like who was who wanted Barry back really apart from Jeff, Jeff Johns. Yeah, apart from Jeff Johns, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> strange. Who wanted Barry back, Jeff Johns? <laughs> and I like I like Jeff Johns, but it's like one of those one of those things where you go, who really wanted Barry back? Jeff Johns. Jeff Johns yeah. wanted yeah. Barry yeah, back, yeah. so. Back. Well, I think we're uh, I think we're about uh, about wrapping up here. So, um, Lan, thanks for coming on the show. It was really a uh, real pleasure to chat with you. Um, oh, thank you. The uh, WWE, uh, the Royal Rumble 2018 special is out in April. Is there an exact date for it? Well, the Royal Rumble special is already out. The WrestleMania oh, sorry, special WrestleMania comes out. Special. It, it, 
It's all yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I'm still Royal learning. Special, uh, <laughs> you'll learn. Yeah, you'll get there, bud. Uh, but the WrestleMania special is uh, out in April. If there's an exact date, I'm not a hundred percent, but I think it's April 10th. I think because hmm. it's around the time that April uh, WrestleMania is, and I'll be at WrestleMania this year. So if any of you are listening, really, to, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> um, I'll be at a uh, WrestleMania access and super card of honor. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a packed weekend. Yeah. So where else can people find your work? What are the, um, where else can people find you on the internet? Uh, so my bylines right now are, uh, I'm exclusively a newsarama right now. I handle the image beat image comics beat mm-hmm. and uh, look out for stuff for a boom. And if there's any sort of announcements, I'll let you guys know. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for coming on the show. It was uh, really cool to chat with you. And uh, I am uh, starting my educational journey for uh, WWE in style. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're glad to have you. Thanks once again to uh, Lan for joining us on the show. Uh, It was a uh, fantastic chat. I am actually going to start learning more and more about WWE. I've signed up for the uh, one free month of WWE Network. So if you have any suggestions for what I should watch. I've already had some great ones over on Twitter, uh, but if you want to uh, send me some suggestions or get in touch with questions or comments about this show or any of the other shows that we've had in the past, uh, you can reach out to me on Matt Loon, M-A-T-T-L-U-N-E on Twitter. You can reach uh, Wes on at Geek Who Landed, and uh, you can find the show at That's The Issue. Uh, that's all over on Twitter. If you want to reach out to us with a long form, uh, like an email or anything like that, you can send us um, your emails to that's the issue podcast at gmail.com. And as I said at the start of the show, you can find us over on multiversitycomics.com uh, where you'll find our podcast feed on there. We've also got um, ourselves on SoundCloud. We're on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we're on Podbean. We're on Stitcher as well. Basically, anywhere you want to find a podcast, there will be. So reach out to us, get in touch. Hope you enjoyed the show, and uh, we'll speak to you again next time. Thanks a lot for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.